Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to be around, going through a lot of scripture as I go through this message, but I want to ground it in this one passage. It's a, just a perfect place to ground this message. It's in the middle of uh, uh, a, a call that Timothy or that Paul is, is putting out to Timothy, a pastoral letter to say, here's how you have to lead and conduct yourself. And in the middle of 2 Timothy in chapter 2, he's telling him, look, you've got to be strong. You've got to be full of grace. You've got to you know, conduct yourself like a good soldier. You don't be messed up and tangled in civilian affairs. You're you know, fully on board. Conduct yourself like, a, uh, like, a, like an athlete who competes for the prize. Conduct yourself like a hardworking farmer who is plowing you know, to receive uh, you know, the, the, his share of the crops. And then he, he, he busts into this kind of admonition. It's, he calls it a trustworthy saying. And he essentially says, you know, three key points. You know, he talks about dying to self, about enduring with, with Jesus, and, and, and about uh, remaining faithful, uh, not denying him. And so I want to just pull out this one half, really, of this one verse. You can, we're not going to deal with the disowning part today, um, but just the first half of that verse is really the grounding uh, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. That's, that's what we're going we're gonna to hammer home today is this idea of what it means. And the, the, it's, pow- it's a powerful um, declaration. Basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into the idea of endurance or, or the old-fashioned word for this is forbearance, to forbear and, and why this really matters for us. The word that Paul uses there for rain is literally a combination, a combo word, compound word that, that means uh, it, it takes the word that's used in Greek for the kingdom or the, the, the messianic reign of God and, and takes the prefix with. So it means literally means to reign with Jesus. You know, if we endure with him, if we, if we can forbear, and I'm going to unpack what that means, we reign with him. I, that, that is such a powerful promise and declaration uh, for us. And so I want to unpack that in a, in a variety of different ways. I want to review for you what we've been doing. We've been essentially trying to answer some questions. Well, I don't think I can give this total treatment, but some questions of what does it look like for us as a people, as a congregation, but you know, also individuals, to posture ourselves, to make ourselves ready for the inbreaking of the kingdom. I mean, Jesus has come, as Paul says in, in the letter to Titus, he came once in grace, he's coming again in glory. We say Maranatha, he came, Maranatha, he's coming. And so we know there's some aspect of the kingdom of God that's not yet, and we know he stands the door knocking. And so imagine, if you will, that Jesus is standing at the door knocking, the door of this church, the door of your, your home, and you know he's there. He's in the driveway, he's knocking at the door, but he's not yet quite in the house. What would you do? How would you posture yourself? How would you prepare yourself? And what are some of the key concepts? We, want, we looked at joy. We looked at obedience. We looked at availing ourselves to testing last week. And one of the tests that I got into is essentially, we call it the test of injustice. How do you act when you're treated with injustice? And today's message is essentially boring deeper into that, you know, with, with enduring. And so what I want to get into today is this idea of endurance as a as a relational dynamic that postures us to receive the kingdom of God. That's an important distinction when I say that as a, as a relational dynamic because of this. When I use the word endurance right now and I say, you know, when we, if we endure, we'll reign, what you think of is you think of like, 
the guy there, you know, on the helm of the ship in the, with the storm, or last week when we thought the uh, Dorian was coming right at us and we were making ourselves ready, we think of situational endurance, like tough times and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grit my teeth and make it through it. But almost all of the biblical treatment of forbearance and endurance is not dealing with situational endurance. It's dealing with relational endurance. It's dealing with enduring one another, forbearing with one another, and, and what that means. And so we have to kind of break this down. And in order to do that, i got to take you on a little bit of a trip to get there. We need to explore this to, to be able to really get at it. We have to kind of move at it through the lens of forgiveness. This is how you will best understand this, I'm convinced, is if you walk, if you walk this out through the lens of forgiveness and, and, and then arriving at the end and what it means for us to forbear or to endure one another. It, it almost seems hope, you know, like it's lacking hope to say, is this really what you're saying is we just have to endure one another? Um, but I, I, I assure you there is hope in this and we'll, we'll get to it. Why do we start with forgiveness? Well, it's a pretty, I mean, what, there is no more important dynamic, I believe, to posturing ourselves to receiving the kingdom of God than our capacity or our propensity to forgive, our willingness to forgive, the, uh, our, 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 the speed with which we forgive, the way in which we forgive. These are key, key, that is a key indicator of our, uh, our, our ability to receive the, the, the kingdom of God. Think about what Jesus prays. It's one of the most, if you, if you break this down and think about it, this will blow your mind. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us, which the first thing that blows my mind is Jesus says us. He doesn't say forgive them. He, he puts himself in, his, in our human flesh and says, Lord, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not, you know, he doesn't sin, but he's like, I want to avail myself of the same exact treatment. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What does that mean? It means we get forgiveness from God in the same measure that we give forgiveness to others. He says, forgive them as they forgive others. So what does that mean? It says, if we are not able to forgive others, if we, we can't stand before God and say, forgive me of all I've done wrong, God, yet I refuse to forgive the people in my life who have wronged me. And so we have to come at this through the lens of forgiveness. Jesus literally endures, forbears the cross so that we might be forgiven or reconciled to him. There was a story of a king who had, who had suffered a lot from his rebellious subjects. And he uh, one day decided, uh, they, they'd surrendered their arms, they threw themselves at the feet of the king and they begged for mercy and he, he pardoned every one of them. And one of his friends said to him, well, didn't you at one point say that every rebel should die? Yes, replied the king, but I see no rebels here. There, there's a sense in which when we bow our, our neck, when we bow our knee at the foot of the cross, that we lay down our rebellion and we say, Lord, I avail myself to all the forgiveness. And he says, this is why I went to the cross. I endured it that you might be forgiven of your rebellion. This is a really powerful thing for me this week because it's not just theoretical. I've literally been exploring this week with, uh, in a couple different situations, but once with a, or in one of those with a very close friend, uh, exploring this through kind of a journey in, in, in his life uh, of what it looks like for us to kind of move through this process. And, and, and literally our conversation 
was eye-opening to me and encouraging to me, and, it, and, and essentially our conversation formed an outline, you know, for this message. Uh, and there's a couple of key revelations that just hit me in it. So let me start with the idea of, if we're going to go through the lens of forgiveness, let me start with the ideal of forgiveness. So, so we're all on the same page. Fair enough? You with me? Thumbs up? So here it is. The fullest understanding or the fullest experience of forgiveness that we could have is, involves another person recognizing the wrong that, that, that she's done or he's done against you and repenting of that wrong and asking for forgiveness. Agreed? So somebody's done something to you or you've done something to somebody and, and there, there is the awareness of that. There's the, the confession and the repentance and the asking for forgiveness. Um, imagine a scenario. Landon, come on up here. This is dangerous. He's a big guy. He could hurt me. But imagine some scenario, if you, if you have to be careful, uh, some scenario where Somehow, some way, we were able to, to transgress, trespass, sin against each other simultaneously at the same time. Like, like don't do this, but let's just put, put, your, put this hand out and put it right out here. And I put my hand out, and somehow, like, somehow, like in some weird miracle time, the same exact time, we whack, hit each other. And, and we did it with evil intent. Like, man, somehow we both thought that you could do it. Oh, you, I thought you were going to say, how could you? <laughs> so at the same exact moment, we had the same demonic inspiration just to smack the crud out of each other, and wham, we hit each other, and we st- stood there staring at each other incredulously, and I'm thinking to myself, how dare you? And you're thinking to yourself, how dare you? But in the, in the next moment, somehow, just after we're still here, we're rubbing our cheeks, we're going, how dare you? Somehow God gets hold of us and said, and I say to myself, what did I do? And you say to yourself, what did I do? And so the next moment, we're kind of, you know, on our knees. We've, we've, we've said, Lord, forgive me for this, for this, what I've done. And I look at you and I say, brother, I am so sorry. I love you as a brother, and I can't believe I did this. And you're, the words are coming out of your mouth at the same time. Uh, well, you hit me harder. No, I'm kidding. And, and somehow we're able to repent and forgive each other in the moment. Do you, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous illustration, but if I make it that clear and that literal, do you see how that's a picture of full forgiveness? There's nothing between us now. You know, we've left it behind. Even though I have the memory still on my cheek of what that felt like, I can now, he's off the hook, I'm off the hook. The offense that, was, that, ro- that rose up, that I, I put a little, you know, I have a screen behind me, and I wrote down on that the offense. Landon hit me in the cheek, and he wrote one down on his. And But now I can go back and look back on it. It's gone. The offense is gone, right? You see the whole picture? That's full forgiveness. Okay, you don't have to hit me anymore. That's, that's, that's an idea of, of, of what that looks like. The, the offense has been taken, and then the offense was done and laid down and laid aside and not brought up again, not brought up again, not brought up again. In Jesus' name, not brought up again. So you can't say later, you know, um, couples, you can't say later, uh, I forgive you, and then say later when, you know, you know, just reminds me of the time when you were talking to your friend on, you know, and I heard you talking about me. And then every time there's an argument that, you know, that's that, not brought up again. That's full forgiveness. We lay it down, we move on. That's full, robust forgiveness. And Jesus talked about this. Uh, in Luke 17, he said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I mean, that, 
he ends up getting into 70 times 7 for forgiveness. But I just want you just to imagine somebody hurting you seven times in one day and repenting seven times. Are any parents here that have you ever had the conversation with your kid, I don't want you to tell me you're sorry if you don't mean it? Yes? Yeah, and Jesus is saying, but if they hurt you seven times and you say, hey, I repent, he says, forgive them. And you go on, maybe twice, but the third time, the fourth, you know, seven times. And that's, that's the picture that we're supposed to have. There, it, forgiveness is supposed to be full and it's supposed to impact everybody involved in it. There's a story about a young boy in Korea who was a, who was a kind of the house servant for some American soldiers during the Korean War. And sometimes they thought it was funny to play all these what they thought were harmless jokes on him. They would mock him. They would tease him. They would tie his shoestrings together, and then he would fall. They would lock him out of the house. They would do all this stuff to him to kind of just, you know, get at him a little bit. They thought it was all in good humor. And eventually they realized somebody brought to their attention, man, this is, it isn't harmless. It actually does something to this guy, and you guys are wrong. And they realized that they, they, it wasn't funny. And they apologized, and the, and the boy said to them, that's okay. He says, I, I forgive you. I will stop spitting in your soup now. <laughs> right? Forgiveness, when it's full, it impacts everybody in the equation. Um, it wouldn't be full forgiveness if he kept spitting in their soup, and it, and, and it also wouldn't be full forgiveness if they kept mocking him. I mean, the, the forgiveness, you know, it poisons it. It affects both sides of the relationship. And so... That's the full side of it. But let me, let me move us through. So you got that picture? So let me move through from that to, to, you know, in my conversation with my friend, my friend wasn't really asking me about that kind of situation. It, he was basically, he wasn't saying, how do I get the grace to forgive somebody seven times who repents seven times? He wasn't asking that question. That was, that would, that's a tough enough conversation. He was saying, what do you do with a, I'm going to fill in the blank here, so a father or a wife or a coworker or a neighbor or, or somebody in your life who, who doesn't repent, who maybe doesn't even recognize the wrong, and if you were to say to them, look, you hurt me, they would say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Do, do, you, ever, do you see how this is, we're not, we've now gotten outside of the range of full forgiveness, where it's not so simple and straightforward? The person isn't repenting. The person isn't asking for forgiveness. Does forgiveness make sense at all in that situation? How do you navigate forgiveness now? Well, there are at least a couple of different biblical categories that need to be stirred inside of us here uh, besides just classic mutual forgiveness. Because, you know, I, as much as I like to, well, I don't actually do well in living it. As much as we like to live in a black and white kind of, there's so much gray and nuance in the world. And, and so much of our forgiveness or relational dynamics fall in between these where it doesn't just happen in this textbook Landon and Jeff kind of way. And, and so one of these other categories we have to stir into the mix of this story to figure out how forgiveness works is what the Bible calls enemy love. And when I say enemy love in this context, I'm not just thinking about a declared enemy. Like, you know, like you're thinking like, you know, yeah, we can, you know, my enemy is, and you're thinking of like, you know, radical Islam or, you know, uh, or oppressive dictatorships or, or you know, vegans. Um, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Not fully. When I say enemy love, I'm thinking not just that, but I'm thinking people like spouses or sons or daughters or 
parents or friends who in the moment are acting like an adversary. They're hurting you in the way that an enemy would hurt you. They're not your enemies in the, in the, in the classic sense, in the big sense, but rather in the moment they're acting with enmity toward you. So in the moment, they are essentially acting in the way that an enemy would act toward you. And you, you then have to respond in a way that is exactly the admonition to treat how we treat our enemies. And what does the Bible say that we're supposed to do toward our enemies? Love them. And so the Bible doesn't just talk about forgiving people. Forgiveness is one thing. It says we're actually supposed to act t- toward these people with love. It talks about enemy love. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Peter picks it up in his letter, and he says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this is, that's what you were called to, that you might obtain blessing. He's saying, somebody hurts you, actually, you're supposed to bless them. You're not supposed to hurt them back. And so we're told here how to relate to a person who is not repenting, not recognizing any wrongdoing. Or maybe they are recognizing wrong, but maybe they're glad they did it. That, I mean, let's, this is real, right? When you're in relationships, sometimes you're dealing with people who are like, I'm not sorry. I'm glad I did what I did. And how do we, how do we respond to that? Well, the answer is we don't return evil for evil. Rather, we bless people who do this. So in that case, do you see how we do not have at all the, full, the fullest kind of forgiveness now? You, you might call it maybe one-sided forgiveness. You know, Landon... Uh, hit me, I didn't hit Landon at all, and I say, Landon, why did you do that? And he said, why did I do what? And I said, you just smacked me in the face, and he said, oh, I, don't, I, I wanted to. I, I'm glad I did it. i do it again if you come close to me. And I go, well, you know, I, I'm going to go get my gun. No, but, but, but in our hearts, isn't this what we do? We go, if you hurt me, I can hurt you. I can even up the ante. Jesus says, no, lay that down. Lay down the offense, Jeff. Even though Landon doesn't repent or, or confess or see the need for it, and, and don't just forgive him, actually love him. It's, it's one-sided forgiveness, right? And as a follower of Jesus, what this means is you're choosing to not be the punisher, but treating the other person better than they deserve. Landon, if, and if I just gave you that scenario, Landon doesn't really deserve my love. What has he done to deserve my love? He's done exactly what we've done to deserve God's love. Nothing. He's acted as an, an enemy toward me just as while we were yet enemies. You know, he died for us. In this sense, um, I'm treating Landon as though he hadn't even hit me. It's mercy. It's grace. It oozes with this. Now, I need to give you a disclaimer. I, f- I should have given you at the beginning because I know it's going to happen. There's at least one person here right now who's thinking of a different category in your own life that goes outside of the boundaries of what I'm talking about some sort of abusive situation or some place where you, you know, you know of somebody or you yourself have been deeply hurt by somebody's actions that actually cause you danger of your life or, or something like that. And you're thinking, man, uh, you, you want me to, to just forgive and move on and sweep this under the rug? No, I'm not saying that. And I'll tell you, I will afford you the grace of understanding. I don't know everything about your life. And there, there are situations that we have to say when there's abuse, you have to do the right thing to protect yourself and report and all these things. I'll afford you that. If you will afford me, the 99.9% of the situations you have in your life actually fit into the categories of what I'm talking about. Full forgiveness. Blessing and loving those who, who would hurt us. And then finally, 
moving into forbearance. Now, to advance the story, beyond full forgiveness where Landon and I have hit each other, and beyond enemy love where Landon hit me and I didn't hit him back, and I said, you know, look, man, I I love you, I'm going to forgive you. Now we have the biblical idea of relational forbearance. I love the old word, the King James forbearance But, you know, endurance works as well. The Bible uses many different words for this. One of them means just to stand up tall. 2 Timothy uh, 2, it means just to stand up fully tall, not to be slouched over. Another word that's used means to cover. Not to cover like sweep under a rug, but to like put a tent, to provide a covering from somebody. That means to endure a situation with somebody. Another one, um, it means to bless. And so there's a lot of different nuance to this idea But let's imagine a scenario now where Landon and I haven't hurt each other and there's been mutual full forgiveness or even one where he's hurt me and I've loved him through it. But imagine Landon standing here on the platform just while I'm talking, he's just smacking me in the head. He's just doing it. What does it then require of me as a follower of Jesus to live in relationship with this guy? Yeah, it's complicated, isn't it? Because the simple advice you would give is, well, just walk away. You know, this is kind of the, the parental or the humanistic way of thinking about these sorts of things. And, you know, but in, in view of all of the ambiguities and imperfections of human life and, and all the stuff that surrounds this idea of seeking forgiveness, there, there needs to be an awakening, a reawakening in the church of we have this need for a huge encounter-based experience with Jesus that moves us into the reality of that old-fashioned word forbearance. We've got to move into a deeper place. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. He's talked about all the sorts of things we're supposed to be, and then he says to the church, this is what he says to those he calls the chosen ones, those who are who are, who are in, in relationship with Jesus, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, literally he, bowels of mercy is what, the, is what the literal translation is. He's saying in deep down in your gut, you're full of mercy. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, or as the old King James says, forbearing one another or enduring through it. So love the kind of cross-based love that Jesus demonstrates for us doesn't just forgive us when, or doesn't just forgive when another person repents and doesn't just bless when we are hurt, but it forbears, it actually endures. Both Peter and James call that a covering. It's a, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. It, it, it covers them. It doesn't mean covers them up. It just means it, cover, it smothers, it, it covers over them. It provides a tent, a place where you can get out of the rain. And maybe get a hold of yourself, and it endures. They don't. You don't go away. You you endure. You stand there in the in the place and, and, and cover those things. Forbearance. Here's a different way to say it. Forbearance is what you do when forgiveness has not remedied all the tensions between you and another person. Now, this is in my message the place where I run the greatest risk of losing you, because this is the this is where the Bible becomes counterintuitive. This is, this is what happens when you think the other person should have done more. Or you think they should have changed more. Or you think they should have repented more. Or they haven't even done what you and your gut says that they should do. Or what the advice you've gotten from friends sa- says they should do. They haven't done any of that stuff. So <clears throat> you can either walk away from the relationship. I will just tell you from, from pastoral perspective, that has destroyed 
millions of marriages. Or you can forbear. That is, put up with or endure. And I'm going to break down a little bit more what this means. The Bible talks about it this way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I, <laughs> I, I've just had two weddings in the last two weekends that have both been very beautiful events. And uh, uh, I've done lots and lots of weddings. I've never preached out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's, everybody talks about it as being the wedding passage. It's not really the context at all that Paul talks about it, but, it's, but it does get into deep, the deepest idea of what love is. By the way, this is a free of charge aside. I don't know how this connects. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. This could just be swept away like dust kind of stuff. Do you know when we're at our most vulnerable of being offended in a way where something's going to rise up within us? It's when we are most joyful. I was just thinking of this in my conversation with this friend. He was talking about the father in the prodigal son story in Luke 15. In the midst of the celebration of the younger brother being there, in the midst of his deep joy, I, I was just thinking about this because I was thinking of weddings. I was in two weddings that were both very joyful. And imagine somebody coming to me in the middle of my son's wedding and, and, and saying, you know, saying something offensive or, or, or pulling me out of that. That's the place where I have the potential to boomerang to the far opposite side and say, how dare you on this night come to me in the midst of my joy and call me out and tell me that you can't come in and celebrate. This is exactly what the father, but this father in Luke 15 is a perfect father. And instead of, rebuking instead of admonishing or letting his joy turn to anger, he actually goes out to the older son and endures what is, what is really harsh treatment. So Paul talks about th- this way in that 1 Corinthians 13 passage. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I mean, do you hear it? He says it twice in one sentence. Love bears all things. It's the forbearance idea. Love endures all things. Uh, you know, the key passage on this matter, though, is the one I just said to you, though. It's about um, in, in Colossians 3. And you could translate that passage as enduring or bearing one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another person, bearing with one another towards the aim of forgiving one another. And so forgiveness and forbearance. How many of you want to do that? How many of you want to endure I got to be honest with you, I don't. This is, the, this is the rubber meeting the road for me that I deal with this with the Lord all the time. I don't want to endure. I want to punch Landon in the face when he, when he keeps hitting me over and over again. I get to the point, I'm done. You know, I, the fight part in me rises up and I'm like, I've had enough. You touch me one more time and I'm going to do everything. I might not be able to beat you, but I'm going to do my best, right? I'm going to go down. There, there's something in me that rises up at some point and says, it's the Popeye moment. Had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. <laughs> and I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna I'm gonna give you now the rubber meeting the road. Okay, I'm gonna give you why it breaks down, why it's such a challenge for us. Because this is how the conversation went. It became very clear to me. One of the main obstacles to actually posturing ourselves in this way to really understand and live in forgiveness and even do it through this mechanism of forbearance, returning good for evil, blessing those who hurt us, is this. If we really return good for evil, not the kind of manipulative way that hopes to draw attention to the other person's guilt, but we just really let it off the hook, 
I'm talking about a really authentic blessing of another person, treating them with kindness and hope from the start. If we do that, then very few people, if anybody, are going to know that you've been hurt. And you can't stand that. That's the challenge. If we really, really just let it go, endure it. Man, I think about this so much in marriages. This is the challenge. No one's going to know. Or maybe just a, a person or two will know. If we return good for evil, then we're not moping around. Our, comp, our, our, our countenance isn't cast down. You know, our shoulders aren't shrugged. We're, literally, the word means to stand up straight. We haven't withdrawn into some silent funk and gotten distant. We refuse to talk to our spouse or our friend or our neighbor or whatever. We, we, we don't do that. We're not drawing attention to our woundedness. We're acting in ways that are cheerful and hopeful and gracious And nobody's going to have any idea that we've been insulted or put down or wounded or cheated. And almost everything inside of my sinful soul cries against this. Almost everything within me is like, no. We want people to know we've been hurt. Don't we? Haven't you ever been in a situation where just somebody acknowledging the hurt that you've been through has been all you've needed? It's It's like a salve. You know, have you ever been cut off in traffic and you pull up the light and you're thinking, that guy, I can't believe you did it. And you pull up to the light and somebody pulls up alongside. He's like, hey, I saw what that guy did. And you're like, oh, thank God you saw that. Thank God you now recognize how, how you know, I mean, because this guy deserves the death penalty. He cut me off today. And I, I'm going to be like 14 seconds late now for what, when I thought I was going to be there. How many times have you thought the same thing when you've cut the guy off? And somebody pulls up to you, I saw what you did. You're like, oh, hey, hey, hey nothing. We don't want people to know, we, you know we, we've, we've hurt them, but we desperately want people to know that we've been hurt. And the world it screams at us to say, it validates that, to say the only way that you can authentically get over a wound is you've got to let the whole world know that you were wounded. Otherwise, it doesn't even count. We want people to, uh, to pity us or at least sympathize with our woundedness or recognize you know, that our effort to return good for, you know, for evil is a noble effort in the face of a lot of difficulty. In other words, like, do you see what I'm doing over here? Do you, you know, Carol's out of town, so I could, I could, I could, you'll probably tell her, though, if I was going to use an illustration to say, you see what I'm, my wife, what I'm having to endure? Do you at least see this? Guys, do you see this? We, we want some sort of recognition to validate, you know, even when we're doing the good things we're supposed to do. Think about it. If nobody knows, if, no, if nobody can see what's going on, does it even count? Is it even real? And this is why we've, this is what's given rise to a call-out culture. We can't go to somebody in private and say, hey, when you did that, it really offended me. If I don't call you out publicly, it doesn't count. And perhaps most of all what we want is we want the person who wounded us to be aware that they wounded us. And we, and, and we don't want to act in a way that looks like they didn't hurt us. It looks as, you know, maybe it makes light of the fact that they wounded or insulted us or put us down or criticized us in an inappropriate way or they cheated on us or they did something that really, you know, that hurt us deeply. And Jesus says it this way in Luke 6. It's such a huge obstacle to obeying the Lord. For me, anyways, I'm not, I'm not going to put this on you, 
Brittany, you had such a good word about, you know, declaring prophetic promises. I'm not going to put this on you, but I'll tell you, for me, this is a real struggle. He's, Jesus says in Luke 6, do not return evil for evil, but bless those who do you harm. Do not return evil for evil, but bless those who do you harm. Does that not resonate with any of you as being nearly impossible? Or at least very difficult? You do evil to me, and so I bless. I mean, I look like a schmuck if I do that. A loser. I mean, I, what, kind of, what kind of vulnerable weakling am I if you hurt me and I bless you in return? Oh, Jesus, this isn't the way the world works. But it only works, it only works in one, there's only one way in which this works. And I'm going to wrap up by giving you kind of the, this, this solution as we go through this journey. If I can give it to you, if, you'll, if you have patience, if you can endure a couple more minutes, I'll give it to you in a form of a question because it was a question for, for my friend and me. It's really a question for me and it's my question for you or anybody who finds himself in a situation like this, particularly where Landon is hitting me over and over and over again, and I'm like, Lord, how am I going to make this? Here's the question. Is it enough for God to know your sorrow, for God to know your pain, and for the Lord to know your disappointment and your frustration? Is it enough for the Lord himself to say, I see what you're enduring, and I love it? You endure with me, you'll reign with me. Is that enough? In other words, it comes down to trust. Can we truly put all our chips in, go all in for God and say, Lord, I'm turning my cause entirely over to you and saying, I'll push everything in and say, if you see it and if you tell me it's going to be okay, I will trust you entirely if nobody else ever sees it. Can you move forward treating other people better than they treat you, even if it means only God knows and nobody else knows? That's, God has to become more real to us than the people in our lives. What the people, what you get in return from the people in your lives, the affirmation or the lack of affirmation has to be less important than the affirmation or lack of affirmation you get from the Lord. God has to become more real to you than the people in your lives. And when he does, will it be enough? Brian, come on up, I'm done. I want to I finish. I listen. How many of you sit around when you're, do you have any spare time and just listen to sermons and read, read books about sermons? <laughs> it's pretty, I, I, we mow the grass about every uh, 25 minutes here during the summer. And, uh, and so I actually really like it. Uh, and I just put on headphones and I listen to messages. I listened to a bunch of messages this week from Corey Tenboom. You guys heard of Corey Tenboom? Yeah, if you haven't heard of Corey Ten Boom, you should. Just, you know, I, I don't have time to go into all shit. Let me just tell you, her family, it was a Christian family that harbored, hid Jews. They called uh, the story the hiding place. She lost almost all of her family, I think all of her family, in concentration camps. She herself went to a concentration camp, and she uh, survived and, and, and lived to tell her story. And she's a powerful preacher, powerful preacher. I was listening to a message that so stirred me this week that I, 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 you know, stopped and jotted some notes down off of it. And I'll tell you part of the story that's probably familiar to many of you if you know Corey Tenboom. But the beginning part is she says this. This is what hit me so hard. She says, 
deep emotion. She says, the source of our strength is Jesus Christ himself. And his cross shows us that we can accept suffering as a part of God's plan for the world. And, and then she said, here's how I came to learn this. She said, the worst thing of all for me, the absolute most horrific thing in my memory was being stripped of all my clothes and forced to stand naked in front of uh, Nazi officers at a concentration camp. She said to, literally said out loud on many occasions to her sister, who later died there, I cannot endure this. I cannot bear this. This is too much. This, that for her was the breaking point. And she said one day as she was being forced to strip and stand naked in front of them, and she was crying out, literally, this is it, I'm going to... She said suddenly she saw a vision of Jesus hanging on the cross, stripped of his garments, hanging naked. And she said, I knew he hung there for me for my sin. And in my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus. And it made me so thankful that I knew in that moment that I too could bear my suffering. And then she says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And if you don't know the rest of the story, you should check it out. She lost, as I said, her entire family. She barely escaped with her own life. And after the war, she went around the world and preached. And one time she's preaching in Munich. And this balding, heavy-set old man in a gray overcoat comes up to her and clutches both of her hands after she preaches a message and says, um, you remember me. She, he looked a lot different than he looked then, but she remembered that he was a guard at Ravensbrook that watched her as she stood there naked tortured her sister this guy was one of the most cruel of the guards and now that very guy stands in front of her and thrusts a hand out to her and he says a fine message you just preached Fraulein and she had just spoken a message on forgiveness and endurance said that she recognized who he was and she said she looked down she said she was face to face with one of her captors and she said her blood in the moment she said she felt her blood freeze the man says you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk I was a guard there but since that time I have become a Christian I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from you as well Fraulein will you forgive me put her, his hand out again and she said I stood there and could not forgive my sister Betsy had died in that place could he erase her death simply by asking for forgiveness no and she said he didn't stand there long but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do I had to do it I knew that and still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart Jesus help me I prayed silently I can lift my hand, but that's all I can do. You have to supply the feeling. And she said, so mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out into me. And she said, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And she looked at him and said, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands and the former guard and the former prisoner, and I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's 
full forgiveness. I think the question that burns in my heart is, is what if it wasn't so simple, what if it wasn't so neat even as that story, as difficult as that was for Corey, what if he wasn't repentant? What if he wasn't asking for forgiveness? Could she forgive him? What if she were placed in a position again where this man had authority over her and could hurt her? These are difficult questions. But I'm telling you, the endurance that Jesus, by grace, gives rise to in our hearts that, al- that allows us to reign with him is so vital to our pre- preparation to receive his kingdom. If you want to rule with him, if you want to have authority even now in the kingdom, then we have to be willing to endure in relationships. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I don't think I have a lot of work to do here to, to, to speak to your heart about how this might matter to you. Because there's a few possibilities. One is, is that you are, you've got a relationship and that, you're, that you know you just need to forgive somebody because it's, 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 it's impacting your ability to actually live in the forgiveness of God. And you need to just do business. You just need to come and say, Lord, give me courage to do what I need to do to, to make that wrong relationship right. And that, that might be you. Or you might be in a position where you need to actually stop just um, forgiving somebody who's not repented, but actually blessing and loving them in, a, in an enemy love kind of way. But the most significant deep place I think is this it's asking the Lord how would you have me endure in a situation where it hasn't ended there's not even recognition of the wrong how would you have me endure in a way that would honor you there's a nuance where we let somebody hurt us in ways that we shouldn't and maybe you want to come ask the Lord to to, to deal with that in your heart, however you would. I'm going to kneel down at the altar and thank him. And, and, and I've done battle all week over this, this topic because of issues in my own life. Maybe you can spend a moment up here with me. So Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would compel us, that you would show us the lack of forgiveness if that's there, the lack of love for those who are acting as enemies toward us if that's there, most especially, Lord, our, our lack of capacity or even willingness to forbear, to endure, whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship or in a neighborhood or in a broken relationship that needs to be reconciled. Speak to our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. You come forward as you feel led.